Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Hannah Chiswick. And I'm Laura Checkley. And we are, of course, here to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't... Who the bloody hell will? (laughs) As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So on that note, who are we celebrating this week, Han? Well, I've got as far as to say this week's guest has got to be contender for our most inspiring and hilarious guest to date. Listener, if you're wondering what that sound of shattering glass is, that'll be this week's guest smashing through every glass ceiling there is. With her unique and infectious comedic style, she's challenging stereotypes at every turn. Using her strict Islamic and African upbringing as the influence for her material, she is the UK's first black female Muslim Sudanese comedian. Recently, she was the first Sudanese woman to perform at the O2, a moment that must have felt incredible for her, but also so inspiring for other Sudanese and Muslim women. A clinical pharmacist by day and a stand-up comedian by night, there is no doubt this woman is making huge waves in the comedy world. But I have a feeling we've only seen the start of what she's going to achieve. Citing her dad as her comedy hero, our guest is a leading advocate for Sudanese women. Her visibility is inspiring not just to Sudanese women, but to women all over the world whose voices are often left unheard. And to be honest, I think it will be fair to say this woman is literally changing the world one laugh at a time. Popping up at the top comedy venues all over the UK, recently appearing on CBBC, rocking up to the O2, hosting her own weekly online series, Would You Rather, and co-hosting her own podcast alongside her American rapper husband. This week's guest has her fingers in so many pies, I don't even know how she's had time to be here. So listeners, please give a huge proper class podcast welcome to the hijab wearing, no punch holding, total ass kicking legend that is Ola Labib. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> oh, that's such a nice warm welcome. Was it? It wasn't too cringy. Uh, I, t- I try not to listen, to be honest. <laughs> you just like, you took your earphones out then, didn't you, when we were doing that and you just popped them back in? <laughs> I just started procrastinating, thinking about different things like washing the dishes. Exciting, glamorous things <laughs> like that, yeah. Why do you think we do that? Because uh, do you think it's like an exclusive thing to a performer or do you think it's like a working class thing or do you just think it's like people or is it a British thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I think I think being I think it being a working class thing plays a massive role because like we've 
all been on the end of like, oh my God, that person, oh, have you seen his car? Oh my God, he's this, oh my God, he's been on this. So you've been at that, you've been on that side. So to have someone do that to you, it's just like, um, I've got this really bad habit. And I think I've done it in most gigs when people come to see me, I don't like going to the green room. So if someone's like, oh, Ola, I think you're great. Like from the, oh, I've got this, I don't think it's a bad habit, but I lit, I'd go into the audience. I'll be like, oh, what's your name? I was like, oh, that's really, oh, thank you. Oh, and what do you do? So I start like um, showing more interest in them. Yeah. So it kind of takes away from me a little bit. So that's something like I, I'm, I'm notorious for doing. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get better at it, but it is like, oh, no, 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 no. How are you? I like your shirt. Where's that from? You know, like, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. So we start each week asking our guests to take us back to a place and time that has some meaning to them, somewhere that has a connection to their working class roots. So Ola, if you could take us anywhere today, where would that be? So I'd take you to a place called Queen Elizabeth Country Park. Um, and that's like a little forest area um, just on the outskirts of Portsmouth. And Sounds posh. Uh, it's not, it's free to get in. <laughs> great start and, <laughs> yeah but um it was really nice because um mum and dad actually used to always take us there when people would be doing specific things that we couldn't do so for example like in year five everybody goes to a place called little canada it's like you mm. go for three days to camp and do different activities or whatever where you go to the bracken beacons or the school trips but we could never go because there was like three of us so it'd be really expensive mm. to take us all mm. So dad used to always take us to Queen Elizabeth Country Park and we'd like, you know, he'd like sort out events and like, um, you know, he, we'd, we'd just do crazy stuff and he'd be like, oh, why do you want to go to Little Canada? And I'm like, there's a roller coaster at Little Canada, dad. And he'd grab me and he'd like swing me around. He's like, why do you need a roller coaster? You got one right here. I love that. Oh. But yeah, that, that's just somewhere that we've always, that was always our kind of go-to that was always our go-to place and um yeah I guess it just has um it just it, it takes us back three years ago for Eid I actually um organized that we did like a mini family sports day there so we all went back because you know everybody lives in different places now oh wow so it's like kind of our like our safe zone if you like yeah you did a sports day there yeah, I did a sports day. It was quite bizarre because dad's waddling, mum's not getting the games. My 16-year-old brother wants to win everything. So it was obviously a completely different vibe to what it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. But yeah. And was that the first time you'd been back in a while or do you tend to go back there a lot? I think it was the first, like I go back every now and then, but for all of us collectively as a family to have gone together it's been like since we all lived in the same house so like 15 years ago it's so important those places you know that are like free I mean now more so than ever that families that you know haven't got any money can take them somewhere you know because often when you are working class you're living in like small houses people are sharing rooms it's just a nightmare isn't it and and what, what did that park have in it? Like, did it have like a park park or was it just like a big open field or what? Yeah, it did have a park park, you know, like just um, slides, swings, yeah. this, that. Um, and they also have like barbecue um, things. So you can, we used oh, to yeah. buy like loads of tin foil because you don't know what nitty stuff people have been cooking on. Yeah, there. right. <laughs> but yeah, and we'd like just bring food. And it is, it is nice. I, I can't lie and say 
we didn't have that feeling of missing out. Like when we used to go to school and everybody would be like, oh my God, we did this, we did that. Naturally, as kids inside, you'd be like, oh, well, I did this and I did that and I had lots of fun. And you'd big up what you did. And obviously like, you know, thank God for everything. I'm not complaining, but you, you do have that feeling of missing out. But I think but you don't know you're missing out until someone says, oh, we went on holiday to Florida and you're like, wow, what's that? How did yeah. you do that? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. But we saw how hard my parents, like, I guess like maybe um, girls are a little bit different to boys in our family, but I saw how hard my parents worked. So I never felt like, oh my God, I'm missing out on this. I'm missing out on that. Like I, I did used to get pissed because my older brother, I love you, Mohammed, but he was and spoil as anything so he'd he'd really dig his heels in and be like I really want to do this I really want to do this and like my dad used to like pick up extra shifts and stuff just so that he could go but I'd never have the heart to do that I would never like I saw how hard my mom and dad worked but my older brother always had the mentality of well when I grow up and I work hard I'll give it all back to them right that's the mentality he had what was your school environment like? I mean, were you in a school that was like people in a similar sort of socioeconomic background to you or were there more affluent people in the school? Or So because of our situation growing up, I went to multiple schools in the area. So um, I went to one, two, three, four or five different primary schools. Oh, wow. wow. Um, so the first school we went to, um, to be honest, like that was at an age where we weren't going to lots of school trips, but it was a very even until now it's one of the worst areas in the um in Hampshire where I used to live but then we went to this Church of England school called St Jude's which was like literally the bougiest school (laughs) but it was it wasn't a private school but it was like in a good area but we lived like in a um at that time we lived in a council estate but my dad really applied strongly really put up a case so that we that me particularly can get into that school because he's you know in our community we're usually more worried about the girls than the boys in certain environments Mm. so my mum used to take a bus to take me to that school go to work and my dad then used to pick me up so it was quite far from where I live but it was so important for them to um send me to a good school but then when I got into year five we moved to a different area that was a lot better than where we lived so then in year five and six I went to a not great school but like a lot better than two of the original schools I went to. What's it like moving about so much it's so hard being a kid anyway and then moving about and you're having to start over each time how how do you feel like that's had any sort of lasting effect as a a grown-up do you know what I mean? Yeah I I, me personally I found it really difficult because I found it really difficult to make friends like Portsmouth was predominantly white when I was growing up um it was only up to the early 2000s that you started to see like an influx of um people of color Mm. and predominantly it was people from the Asian community that lived in Portsmouth those are of color which is completely different to our community of course yeah so when I went to school I used to be like the only I literally was the only um, like African girl in my school like I know I joke about it but that's legitimately the truth yeah. and um, so two of the schools I was really happy when I moved but there was one school I went to and that was funnily enough St Jude's um, the, the bougie school the first year was the worst year of my life 
But then when I got to the second year, there were two people that started the school and I instantly like grappled hold of them before yeah. anybody else did. Yeah. And um, we became friends. And then within three months, my parents told us we've got to move again. Oh, so no. so, so wow. that was really difficult for me because I was always worried that um, what if I struggled at the next school? But again, when I got to year six, obviously there's always like dickheads everywhere you go. But um, I did I did have like two really good friends that I ended up going to secondary school with as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was really difficult. Like I understood, like I felt, I, 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 they've always said that I was very grown for my age. But I, I got my parents' situations. I see my mum working three in the morning until like three in the afternoon in factories, 12 hours straight. I'm never going to argue with her and be mm. like, oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. Like I see how tired she is. Even like now, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but like I'd see like the varicose. She'd get really, she suffered from really bad varicose veins. She was heavily pregnant. She almost went into labour at work. Like my mum worked so, so hard. And I'd see how hard she worked. And same as my dad, I would never argue. I would I would never be in a place to argue with them. Did you feel a huge responsibility then to do what? I mean, obviously you're super clever because you've gone, you followed a scientific kind of path. And like, did you feel like a pressure to succeed at school? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think a lot of immigrant. I agree. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of immigrant kids are like that. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think it's a surprise that we tend to get top in the school and people think it's like a showing off thing, but it's not, it's not at all. Like people will never understand what our parents went through Mm -hmm. back home where they are. And the thing is, it's not just a response. People think it's just a responsibility for our mum and dads. No, it's a responsibility for our parents here. Mm -hmm. And we have tons of family back home that 100% depend on diaspora to provide for them. So, the pressure to do well is always like optimum even in comedy like I've only been going like four years and I think sometimes I drive my manager a bit mad and she's like oh you know maybe next year you can do it. I'm like no 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 I, I want I want to do it now now like I'm ready to do it now I'll put in the work I'll do whatever it takes but Ola you need like 20 minutes in two weeks no I'll do it I'll do it I, I was <laughs> like I'll sit down and I'll do it like trust me I'll do it so it's always this kind of like feeling that not only do I want to work hard but I want to achieve everything now so that you progress quicker if you know what I mean yeah yeah and is there a want to want to look after them a bit as well and let them ease off a bit and go look I've got you now I can help and because I know it's just as a working class you know girl I've always felt that with my parents like it's so nice to be able to give them something back a bit you know I got them dinner at the weekend and it was such a big deal they're like no no I was like I want to get your dinner I'm 42 let me get you some bloody (laughs) dinner I've been working hard and it's yeah I know I have that massive feeling like I just want to help all you know all my family because they all work so hard do do you have that sort of like I want to does that drive it as well Oh, a hundred percent. Like, um, as a pharmacist, I locumed the last three, three, four years because the money was better. Um, so, um, I, I did the same thing of moving around all over the country doing um, temporary contracts, and that was to uh, help out with my parents. Like, um, at the moment, um, I'm renting this place, but I got a mortgage in 2018. But my parents, but my parents are living in the house just so that they don't have to worry about 
rent and they don't have to worry about this and to, don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's great. I've moved down like, uh, do you know what? I wouldn't be fucking surprised if my dad comes walking in through the door now. It's so annoying. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> I moved in at the end of my parents' road. So he only lives like seven, eight houses down just so that if they need anything that I'm close by, I thought it would be to my advantage. Sorry, dad, it is. I do love you, but God's <laughs> sake. Can you call me before you come over, please? My, my dad does that. My, he's um, He's got keys to my sister's flat and they're around the corner and she like gets home from work and he's just there with a cup of tea and she's like, <laughs> I've got shit to do. Can you get out, please? Like My mum's like, you can't just let yourself in all the time. <laughs> Four months to build up the courage to tell my dad to give me the house to my the key to my house. <laughs> so obviously your dad's been like a big influence. You talk loads about your dad and like say that he's your comedy hero. And he sounds like from what you were saying earlier, like a bit of a sort of like major childhood kind of magical and fun and strict mm. at the same time. So was there like, tell me about that kind of combination of upbringing. It sounds it's, so... It's, I feel like, I think it's stupid, but I think it's because I've been raised in this country and we live like a completely different life to people that live back home. But unfortunately, like in communities like us, we don't just think about ourselves. They think about what everybody else is saying. Mm, so say, for example, um, I wanted to go on holiday and that's like for a girl to travel on her own it's dangerous it's like completely frowned upon she has to go with either her father her brother or when she gets married her husband just because but my dad like sees how hard I worked and he's like oh I do want you to go but what would people say kind of thing so he was just as much as I was like fighting to do what I wanted to do he was fighting to let me do what I wanted to do but he obviously like well I think absolutely twatty reasons had to think about what everybody else thought as well mm. um so you know he he was strict about loads of stuff it was really annoying because like they were really strict with me but they weren't as strict with my um brothers and I I, I hated that because I felt like I took a lot of the responsibilities at home in the sense of like if anything needed to be done, if someone had to stay with my, to babysit my siblings, even though I didn't even live in Portsmouth at the time, I was working away, they, I would be their first port of call. Yet if I wanted to do something, they'd be like, oh no, 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 you can't because as a woman, you know, it's just, it's, it's not right. But my brothers would be off gallivanting, doing whatever the hell they wanted kind of thing. So that used to always stress me I'm out. Sure. So you so you're going you've got you're in your secondary school your two mates have come with you. Did you stay at that secondary school by the way? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god, how many secondary schools did you have? Oh, only two. Okay, an improvement on the primary school years. Um so do you think moving about a lot made you sort of lean into comedy a lot? Was that a quick way of making friends or has comedy developed later for you? Um I think you always have the feeling what well, I always had the feeling that I had to win people over mm. um because people you know it's natural in human instincts to judge someone just by looking at them kind of thing and um I felt that I tried to overcompensate by like being over nice or over funny that, mm. that, that they like me regardless of how I looked kind of thing so I think that definitely played a big role and then <laughs> when I got to like college um two of my friends were really 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 beautiful girls um and they went to uni with me as well really pretty girls and my older brother absolute dickhead was like 
you know, he was like, you do know there's a golden rule with ugly girls, always befriend girls uglier than you. So I was like, so that obviously upset me. I was like, what the hell are you trying to say? And he was like, friend one is the sexy one. Friend two is the beautiful one. And you, and at that point I did look really traumatized. And he went, look, you're really funny. So he went, just hold on to that. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. You're right. He is a dickhead. <laughs> he is a dickhead. And the thing is, he got really upset because um, I was I was on um, uh, Dave's Black History Month. They did like a Black History Month yeah. where they did interviews. And I spoke about that and I said, and I'm laughing. It's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm married now. Like, I don't care what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. I'd be borderline inbreeding if he praised me <laughs> on how beautiful I was. <laughs> But like he, I was talking about it and he was like, did I say that? And I'm like, yeah, you did. And he was like, oh yeah, I did, didn't God, I? Siblings are so mean, aren't they? They are. But he, according to him, he was like, well, if I didn't say that, he went, you wouldn't be doing the career you're doing oh, today. Sure. So it's all thanks so it's to all me. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all thanks to him calling me ugly. <laughs> so how were like the university is, were your, were your parents, how did they feel about you going away? Were they anxious about it? And I didn't go away. They didn't let me go away. I had to study at Portsmouth University. Right. And so you lived at home. Yeah. And did you manage to kind of, <laughs> but how was that? Did that, did you feel like the gap widened between the experience you and your mates were having? Yeah. Oh, big time. Like, especially in first and second year, they loosened up a bit in third year because I, I had like a massive, like, crisis where I was like, I what's, there was no difference between me today as a third year or fourth year university student, my course was four years, and me being in year three or four, I said, I'm treated the same. I was like, how are you giving me curfews? They used to give me like curfews of eight o'clock. I'm like, dad, students wake up at eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. And he'll be like, oh, why don't you just organize with your friends that, you know, like wake up. I was like, dad, I'm not going to start telling them their fucking sleep schedules just to work around myself. Yeah. So then like I, I really threw a fit and I got really upset and I was like, what have I ever done to deserve this? I've always tried to be the best daughter. I've never asked for much, blah, blah, blah. I just want like a little bit of um, freedom, just like a little bit of like breathing space, blah, blah, blah. So he started to loosen up um, at the end of uni, which made no sense because they were the most demanding years. So I wasn't doing anything anyway. <laughs> yeah, he timed it right. No yeah, cool. he timed it perfectly. <laughs> Around my dissertation, he was like, right, do whatever you want. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, there's nothing much I can do now. But um, but uh, um, after my dissertation, he did loosen up and um, my final year was really, really good. Uh, and then work started and that, you don't have time to do anything when you start working. So I'm really interested to know, like, when the comedy started and what, like, made you first... What did you do? Like, what was the first time you stood up and did some comedy? Like, what was the journey to that moment? So I didn't want to do pharmacy. Sorry, pharmacy, um, general, whatever. <laughs> but I didn't want to do pharmacy. Um, and in our community, we always push, like, if you become a doctor, it's like the wow, wow, we wow. So my older brother's a doctor and I applied for medicine, but I didn't get in and I didn't want to take another year and risk not getting in the second time round. So I just went for pharmacy, um, as to be honest, a lot of pharmacists do who want to do medicine, but don't get in. But anyways, that's another topic for another day. Mm. Sorry, pharmacist, no offence, but you know it's true. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I, did, I did pharmacy and, um, and then I went into clinical pharmacy. So like hospital based pharmacy. And then I was just progressing. I did another master degree, then I specialised. And then I just wow. got to a point where I was just like, even though I'm progressing, 
it, it wasn't making me happy. It was it really wasn't making me happy. I didn't feel that there was a void that wasn't being filled. And um, yeah, I, it just really started to get me down. And I've always loved comedy. I always love watching comedy. Um, I love public speaking. Like I just, I loved all that stuff. So I was just like, why not try stand-up comedy? So when I was um, working in Manchester, I was doing um, a temporary contract, which turned to three years. Um, I went to an open mic night. Amazing. That's so brave. Yeah. Um, there was only two audience members. <laughs> but you must have known to go and do that. You must have known at some point, like people must have said to you, obviously your brother said you were funny, but like you must have had mates, people at work that laughed at you because that's how it starts, right? That's the bug. People make you laugh. Girl, that felt good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like um, when I worked at Bournemouth, um, when I worked at Bournemouth Hospital, they used to call me the um, hospital jester. <laughs> And which is really nice. Like I, I like isn't I used, it? Yeah. I used to love that. Um, patients used to be like, "Oh, is that pharmacist coming to my ward today? Oh, is it going to be that pharmacist that's coming?" And that's such a nice feeling that you get asked for. So at the moment, I work for um, St Mary's as a um, medicines advice at homes team pharmacist, where I do home visits to patients to ensure that they're taking their medication correctly. Blah blah blah. Boring, boring, boring. But um, it's really nice when another pharmacist makes an appointment and the patient was like, oh, can I have her again, please? Oh, my God. So yeah. nice. that, that makes me really happy. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've been... I, again, I think, it, I think it really stems from that kind of feeling of approval, like wanting... I'm, like, desperate for people... To, oh, that sounds... It's so fucking... Pathet you're pathetic, Ola. <laughs> Absolutely pathetic. But I, I like that need for people to like me. And I feel like through humour, it's, it's the easiest way for people to kind of like approve of you, if you like. I'm so. sure if we were honest, we'd all yes, say we'd I have that. Like. But any comedian, any actor, we've all got that. And they, I think anyone's lying if they say then it's not. It's not about, it doesn't start like that, at least, at the very least. An interesting thing, yeah. though, isn't it? Because we've, like, we've had quite a few comedians on as guests and nearly all of them would say that, they are not the funniest person in their family. Like, like I'm funny, but the I come from a fa like. And you speak about your dad a bit like that about your dad just being. Oh, my dad's so funny. But all my family, not not all my family actually. My mum's unintentionally funny. She's funny <laughs> because she's so annoying. It makes us laugh. Um, but we have very different sense. Like my older brother, he's really funny, but he's funny because he's so harsh and so dry. It's so. Funny, like oh, I don't know my husband, but like the other day, my brother just turned sixteen, and my other brother was like thirty-five, and there was like a load of us, and he was like, oh, <laughs> it's not even funny. He was like, so, um, are you going to start using your pecker? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what did he do? Your, the little brother, I mean. He's obviously traumatized yeah. because he's like, What's a pecker? Like what the? <laughs> yeah. I love that he used pecker as well. It's so silly. He's just so dumb. He's just so he's, he's just an idiot. So he's funny in that sense. And then my dad's funny because my dad's just hilarious. But yeah, we all have very different styles of um, humor. Like they used to find me funny because I used to, I've I've got a very short temper. Um, and and I think it is because of like everything that was happening in school. Mm. But they wanted to put me through anger management when I was like in year five. I was like I just I just burst. And when I used to go off on rants, even now, I think that's when my um, siblings find it the funniest. Yeah. Like when I just lose it because I just start saying stuff and I'm just like, ah, 
that they, they find it and that's why I did um I started to do not a podcast like a blog mm. called excuse me while I ran and if something made me angry just pick up my phone and record it but then I didn't want therapists dming me so I was like you know what let's leave that for another time <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I owe like I could help <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So you did your five minutes. Um, uh, talk us through quickly what then your journey to finding an agent and it becoming a real thing, a reality. Like, how did that journey work? So where I did the open mic, the person there asked me to come back again. And he's probably sick of me shouting him out all the time. He's a guy called Jason Cook, who runs the Apple and Ape in Manchester. Yeah. And he's the kindest man. And I'm just so blessed that that was the first place I performed because he'd ask for me back to perform again and recommend me to other um, people that had like small gigs and stuff. So it just went by just doing loads of open mics, like obviously free um, open mics uh, within Manchester. And yeah, you just keep going, going, going. And sometimes you're lucky and there's a promoter from somewhere else that will see you or hear about you and ask you to come and do a trial at the so within a year I've probably gigged most of Manchester Liverpool Leeds areas like that kind is it northwest I'm so dumb at geography oh god don't ask like, me uh, yeah I dropped I dropped like, geography oh yeah me too I have absolutely and no idea I can't idea. even find my way um to like audition venues that I've been a million times 
on my phone. I still cannot fo- follow a map. I can't yeah, do true it. True story. So <laughs> terrible. They're like, you've been there before like 30 times. Yeah, I'm down the wrong road. I don't know. Like, so bad. <laughs> and so all of that's happening. Did you share in that first year where it all started kicking off? Did you share that with your family? No. No. How was that? I just think, like, I, you know, like traditional families, they, they, um, I, I, I call it like, uh, they call it the immigrant complex where they think that, you know, working a nine to five and progressing and working for somebody else is the like, yeah, the end goal, yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, I, I, and, you know, this is like I'm open about. My mom's not happy with it. She found out because I did the O2 and it went viral. And because they put me as a Sudanese comedian. So obviously it hit Sudanese WhatsApp. Sudanese right. WhatsApp is literally the most <laughs> toxic, most like you can literally fart and you know that by the end of the day, the whole of the Sudanese population around the world will God. know that Oda Libib farted. <laughs> so they, they it went viral. So obviously she saw it and she was just like you know she's I don't get what like okay I get it I get there's certain things I have to restrict and you know I'm trying to restrict saying certain things that maybe I shouldn't you know not swear um Mm. you know try and keep it as um (laughs) clean as possible yeah um but I was like mum like I was like I've obeyed your every command growing up like literally your every command I've obeyed it growing up I think this is the one thing that makes me happy and I'm really sorry I love you but I'm gonna do it regardless and has uh, and have your parents been to any of your gigs live if they come and watched you Baba's been to one um that was a charity one where uh, where we were raising money for Sudan and he was really happy because the BBC were there, like doing interviews and stuff, and interviewing me. And I could see, like, he was um, like proud and and stuff. But um, I I I still tend to like not. He knows what I do, but we don't really talk about it. Um, we don't really talk about it, to be honest. Um, do you think that'll get easier over time? Like with everything, money makes anybody smile. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true so as soon as I get that one big big hit and I, and I, and I put that check on their table I think I think they'll be okay it's gonna I think happen. that's what a lot of the fear is to do with and obviously you've got like an that whole immigrant thing and a different like cultural background religious background but even to all our guests that we speak to that working class I just think there's a fear in working class families that like why would you give up something secure and a, and a good job for something that is let's be honest about as riskier you know it's just people don't see it as like an actual career until you say look look at this check that someone has given me or you're on the telly and all of that yeah yeah you've literally 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 hit the nail on the head it's the concept of security you have a nine to five job senior pharmacist why would you let that go and they always say people back home would kill for a position like you and I'm like well yeah but that's it's just it's so subjective to where you are and who you are of course. I'm, I would happily give that to someone one of my family members back home yeah if, if if I could and I'd get on doing what I'm doing and then they can have the responsibility of dealing with like the fa- I, I, I would I would love that I would love that but I still do pharmacy sometimes just so that I can stay on the register so I do do the odd um 
chips here and there just so that I'm I, do, I don't intend to come off the register because you just don't know what will happen who will cancel you you just don't know so you have to have like um yeah uh, a form of stability or security if you like yeah so, and you've got that I mean if you look at I always think of somebody like Dr Range and like you think about the level of like success that he's got now you know and he's on Strictly and he's done this and he's done that but he's still in A&E like he yeah. does the odd A&E shift and he like I was actually speaking to him funnily enough we were doing some training together and he was saying a similar thing he was like oh you know it's very hard to let go of that thing that you've worked so hard at that's the big pride of your family yeah and also you know it's you speak about bits of your job, like you love them, like going into people's homes and making them feel, I mean, maybe not so much, here's your medication, but the bit that's social, <laughs> not so much, but the bit that's social and like, you know, where you interact actually with people and that part of it. Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. There is nothing, there is nothing more rewarding than knowing that you've made a difference to someone's life, like literally their life, like, going to someone who's in severe pain and recommending a pain pathway that will help them or like I did oncology and I worked with palliative patients that was the mm. hardest thing um, yeah. I ever had to do and you know what like whilst doing comedy there were times there were times where I would deal with these patients and have gigs after and I would say like obviously I'd bomb quite a lot of the time but I, I just I had to I had to form a boundary I can't go yeah. from talking to someone saying you know like okay we're giving you these injections to ease your pain will they treat it no they won't like it, it's it's so difficult having to deal with palliative patients and going to try and make people laugh it's literally the hardest yeah, hardest of hardest, hardest 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 thing but at the same time it's rewarding so even if later on I bomb at that comedy gig I know that I've made shit. someone at that moment feel better so maybe I made the audience feel shit but at least somebody today you know like there was some form of positivity if you like it's really hard it's really hard to explain it's really um, not at all you explain it brilliantly yeah, yeah. yeah. and do, do you th I mean obviously there's going to come a point I mean it's already happening for you where you probably might not have much time for it because no doubt I mean, for, you know, I've just, I'm watching your rise. Like, it's so incredible to watch. And I think you're going to be huge. Um, I think you're already so. on your way to, I do. I think you're so brilliant, funny, and inspiring. And, um, you know, it's all that if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I just think it's so wonderful for youngsters um, to watch you and see you doing it and doing it brilliantly. But there's going to come a point where you have to kind of, I suppose leave that behind do you, do you think you're going to be able to do that or do you want are you going to try as much to dip back into um I think in a month or let's say in three months I'll do two or three shifts max right so I'm not doing a lot of it but then there'll be times where there's like a kind of a quiet period where I, I'll do writing but I'm like you know what oh why not just go in yeah. and yeah sure and help because yeah. I know my department at the moment are understaffed anyways and they, they love having me back and I love seeing them. They're a brilliant yeah. team. Um, it's hard to stop working, isn't it? As a working class person, I've discussed this all the time on this podcast. I, I taught alongside acting and doing comedy right up till sort of a, few, a couple of years ago, really. I was too scared to jump off and I'd dip my feet in and... And I'd keep going back to this, uh, the drama school that I used to teach at all the time just because I was so frightened of it all going away. And I'm so frightened of the money running out and all of that. I was just about to say, you're just so, aren't you just so used to knowing that at the end of the month, I'm going to get X amount? Yeah. 
and, and it's, it's that mental thing that at least I know I'm getting yeah. X amount and for the longest time, but it literally wore me down yeah. to it's nothing mm. where I would work four days. And like, if I have a gig in London, cause I live in Portsmouth, probably said that like 50 million times, but um, I'd ask Sorry, where'd like, you live again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd like leave early um, just so that I can make it. And it, it just got, it just got too exhausting. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, but I'm not gonna lie that feeling of knowing at the end of the month at least I knew what I was getting mm. that is something that it's hard to walk away from isn't it yeah and so when you were you already married by the time you started doing comedy or what came first comedy or marriage <laughs> I, I got married first and obviously I married him because I love him but also I married him that because when I was getting more and more gigs I was like let's get married straight away because if I got more and more gigs then I don't have to answer to my parents anymore <laughs> amazing he's obviously like really because he's doing all his own extraordinary kind of like boundary breaking stuff himself so is he really supportive of your comedy no he's really really supportive he's always been supportive um he gets it you know he's he he's had similar experiences to me but um he's very much and i'm the same he's very much just stay true to yourself don't ever do anything you don't want to do don't ever agree to something that you think's going to make you look bad because i've said this a million times to anyone that will listen i'm not just representing myself i'm of representing a sudanese community yeah. i'm representing women and i'm representing muslim women so i'm under so much pressure if i mm. mess up anything or give a false representation of anything it will fall on me so bad yeah that's a huge responsibility it is and also I think it, I, I feel really excited for you in like what a huge platform you're gonna or you already have but you're gonna continue to have to just mm. like make such a massive difference and I'm yeah. sure like for all the kind of Sudanese whatsapp will be like <laughs> so like you know it's gonna be such an amazing positive way for for you to kind of represent everyone it's an amazing thing exhausting but it's, it's exhausting it's exhausting but you know like um i was um I, I said it the other day on um david i didn't even know that they were going to put it in the edits but um you, you don't really know what impact you make until you hear it mm, and um, yeah. a parent actually uh, messaged me this is months and months ago saying um we were watching cbbc and we saw you on uh, one of the programs that i was on and my daughter um was struggling because she started wearing a hijab but people used to say lots of stuff so she was like she wanted to take it off because she was like i you know she didn't feel comfortable yeah basically he was just like um when he saw you on tv and like how like warm you are and how you were making people laugh or whatever he said that you're the reason that she didn't take it off and it gave her the feeling of like well someone so it's all to do with representation of course that's what i'm doing god honestly that one comment made me work 10 million times harder um if that's the impact that i'm having on younger girls Mm -hmm. honestly like it is the best feeling So what's next for you? What's what exciting? If you can talk about it, what's next? So like I've been doing a lot of writing. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, something's 
get made. So I've got a script that's been optioned and there's also a script that I submitted to UK TV in a competition and I made it to the next round. Yeah, well done, amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm just seeing, uh, I just, I'm just seeing what I can do with writing because yeah. um, there's not there's not many characters w- that look like me on TV at all. No, no. Um, so it yet. would be a mi- not yet. Yes, 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 yes. Beautifully said. Yes. So I'm hoping I turn that yet to now. Um, yeah, exactly, and hurry up as well. It's about <laughs> So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm performing everywhere. I've got some TV appearances coming up, uh, which is really exciting. Um, Definitely be making a twat of myself, but yeah, it's all right. Yeah, great. That's Uh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else? Oh, I don't even know. But yeah, mostly just writing, writing for people as well, not just for myself, like writing for TV shows as well. Um, And performing, performing, performing. I'm working towards my first hour. So I'm just going to see what I'm going to do with that. Yes. It's, um, I mean everything about your story and the work that you're doing and your comedy as well is like so inspiring but even from what you were saying before like you know being a muslim girl and being in the church of england school yeah. right up to now you must constantly obviously find yourself in spaces where you are the only person who looks and represents like you it can't all have been smooth sailing like how much mm. shit how you still having to deal with now oh in god terms of- loads loads L- l- um in co- in comedy like comedy's great but in a lot of the spaces oh, even as a woman you yeah. find you're the only oh. bloody woman yeah in even whole- just as a woman yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and i i hate don't you just hate that feeling where they're like oh we've got a lineup but we've got one space for a woman and it's just like what do you mean you've got space for a, it shouldn't be because you're you do you know what i mean it's it yeah. the worst yeah we want you as an actress we want you as a comedian because you're good not yeah, because you want to no. fill diversity quotas and i get a lot of people that are like oh you're so lucky you tick loads of diversity boxes and they make you feel like that's the only reason why you're getting anywhere yeah. and it's like mm, maybe it's because you're not funny yeah and we don't want to hear you talking about your dick for the next three hours. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that as well with like diversity. I mean, obviously I'm a like white woman like piping up about it, but <laughs> I work with a lot of like young global majority actors and they feel that really strongly. They say a lot of the time, like, oh, I'm worried that people think I'm just getting in the room for this and I'm only getting in the room for that. And my feeling about that, and even as a working class woman, like I work in the theatre and it's still like, there's none of us knocking about. <laughs> and I always say, do you know what it is? It's that you weren't getting in the room before and mm. you should have been. It's not that you're getting in the room now and you're lucky. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just disgusting that you weren't getting in the room before yeah so take it. yeah it's things that's been stolen from you and opportunities you weren't given not ones that you're being gifted now absolutely yeah. so get yeah. in there and stick your elbows out and help everyone else in like the thing is that's a hundred percent true but my god go and try and convince people that that's the yeah, case right yeah and it's, it's it's really 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 exhausting it's mm. really exhausting and it's such a it really makes you feel shit that mm-hmm. yeah. people think that and it's like before you make that judgment see me on stage if you genuinely think I'm shit then believe what you want to believe but if yeah. I'm making people laugh and I'm progressing to the next level you think I'm progressing because of the color of my skin or where I come from and in actual fact I think it's harder for people like me because mm-hmm. I have to turn down certain things because I can't do it I get offered opportunities great opportunities but I'm like look I can't do that it goes against what I believe in or I can't do that because that's not who I am so in actual fact like it's even more difficult because they expect me 
like you know you get people like oh we want you to do a set about oh terrorism terrorism like, what the fuck should i talk about terror what's that got to do with me i've never blown up shit before like why do you want me to talk about it oh my god maybe in a bad science class yeah <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean or they're like oh come why don't you tell it and they're, all these people, and they're like oh tell us about you know like you're you know how you've been you know oppressed growing up and how different i was like i Jesus wasn't oppressed growing Christ. up do Jesus i look Christ. oppressed to you bitches do i look oppressed to you they make they they force these narratives. They think mm-hmm. that every Muslim woman should talk about oh, terrorism, oppression, uh, annoying husbands. It's really depressing that. that that's happening. It is. It's really it is. depressing that it that's really, really still is. happening. Like, geez, you know. And that people have the gall and audacity to be like thinking they're offering you an opportunity to say, could you do something about like terrorism or like? It makes me feel so. Yeah, I'm embarrassed oh, for them. I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassed almost like them. that's all they think. They think that is all it is. But then again, it always comes back to representation. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we as not just women, but as Muslims, as whatever, we we have to make the point of saying that there is more to us than what meets the eye. And I'm not judging any comedian. You know, you know, whatever you choose to do, you choose to do. Well done if you're succeeding. But I can't lie and say it doesn't disappoint me Mm. when certain comedians perform and do the tick box stereotype to degrade themselves to make other people laugh more and make them more comfortable yes absolutely absolutely so if i went on stage i know for a fact and there's other comedians that i've gigged with in the past who would like muslim men that would go on stage and mock Muslim women and like make comments like, oh, I'm glad women wear burqas. That because that means none of you can see their facial hair and oh, oh this and that and this and that. And wow. you've got all these white people like, <laughs> like laughing their heads off. And I'm like, what? You think you're a big man because you're degrading yeah. us Muslim women mm. by making other people laugh. Like, I'm, I just don't agree with it. There is, there is more to us, especially as women, there is more to us than just being the daily male narrative exactly 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 and that's why i love 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 seeing female comedians at the moment that are literally like doing stuff that is just like you know when you say smashing stereotypes i'm talking smashing stereotypes me talking about oh yeah this and that and whatever is is not it's like we've all heard it and there's more to you than that so i mm. love seeing all these new women you've got people like susie ruffle smashing it kerry pritchard mclean oh my god amazing ashling b like these are the kind of women that like i watch in comedy and i'm like i love what they do because they're not just talking about what middle class white men want to hear yeah um, challenging you as a middle class white man this is what you think of me but actually you are wrong yeah and teaching you and making you laugh because laughter is the best way to get through to Isn't someone it? yeah it really is i always say laughter and food They're yeah the two things that <laughs> like... you know what? if i bomb i'm gonna bring loads of vegan sausage rolls and shove them down all the audience members throats <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ola, so we're coming to the end of our chat, unfortunately, because we've gone all day. Um, But just at the end of the show, we always ask our guest um, who a working class hero that they would like to celebrate. Uh, So who's that for you today? Today, I want to celebrate my recent um, comedy writing partner. 
Um, her name is Russia Sorbe. Oh, she's going to kill me. I'm pronouncing her name wrong. It's a great name. I just can't pronounce them. <laughs> oh, God. Marty, her name is. She's a comedy writer. And um, I think she saw me on a on TikTok. I did this thing. Um, I did this thing for Comedy Central that went really viral on TikTok. Don't know why. But she saw it and um, she messaged me. And she's also working class. She's also um, a Muslim and she's also a woman. And I was like, oh, three boxes ticked. <laughs> and she has been, and this is what I mean when people are like, oh, because you tick diversity boxes, it's easier for you. It's been so fucking hard for her. Her narratives, her this, oh, it's never been done before. Oh, we've never seen this before. No one likes to take risks. Everybody likes to do something that they know is going to work. Mm -hmm. But I have never seen anyone as hardworking as challenging so if like for example she submits a script and they give feedback she has zero chill and she'll be like blah, 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 blah. she'll always have something to say she's always fighting for the cause and fighting it sounds for. amazing she is so amazing and I've never I thought I was like you know it's so refreshing to see like a Muslim woman really fighting for Muslim women it's so so amazing so I want to shout her out and I'm so blessed that out of all the people she chose to work with me and yeah she's amazing and as are you so we're gonna celebrate her as well as you today oh, oh thank, thank you so much it's been so you're, honestly you're you're just so inspiring and i just we're right behind you i can't wait to sort of follow your light and see what comes next because i know it's going to be huge so but thank oh, you thank guys. you today thank you so much for having me it was really it was a really nice therapy session <laughs> we'll be charging you in a bit <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ola. thank you so much Oh, what a fantastic woman. I mean, look, honestly, I know we said it, it at the beginning, but she must be like, uh, <laughs> she must have the record for smashing the glass ceilings here. I know. I've been aware of her for some time now because um, obviously, you know, I love my comedy and I just, I just love the story. I love her story and I love that she's still working as a pharmacist. Like, I mean, that won't be for very long, will it? Um, but she's just like, her story's so wonderful and I love all of the, uh, the when she was talking about the Sudanese WhatsApp group just so brilliant and um, I just feel like she's uh, she's on the verge of being huge it's just wonderful I just like you know such a to just be I don't know what the right word is just debunking so many stupid stereotypes of yeah. race religion gender just like she's a complete kick-ass I think she's amazing I know, I know. And actually, I feel like we should um, book some tickets to see a show but whilst we can still afford the ticket. Yeah, right, and get them because I don't think it'll yeah, be exactly. long be queuing for returns. No, she's wonderful. So, yeah, I would urge um, you all to go and seek her out and um, go and see her now while you can. Oh, well, that's it for another week. Uh, we've got a brand new guest next week. Um, what are you up to, Han? What's what's your plans this evening? Uh, do you know what? I am going to do absolutely nothing. Now, I do need a new TV series to get into, so if you could text me over some suggestions, that would be great. Have you heard of a prison drama called Screw? Channel 4. Oh, oh, hang on a sec. Oh, I'm losing you. I'm losing you. Anyway, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> All right, well, I'm off. I'll go and watch it on my own. 
Imagine just sat there watching myself on TV. Ooh, gross. Oh dear, I'll tell you about yourself. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week, guys. And uh, remember, as always, to keep it classy. Proper Class podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Rangaby Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at the Proper Class podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.